Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. God's taken our church, and really over the last few weeks, I think we've been seeing the man, we're beginning to see the manifestation of it, um, and that was in, in Acts chapter 2, he said that in the end times, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon your servants and handmaidens and your old men, your young men will... Uh, carry the vision, will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And God spoke to me and said there was a shift that was coming where our older generation, who has been the one who carried the vision of Freedom Ministries, would be released to dream dreams again. And that the younger ones, it was time that they were going to rise up and be the ones that carried the vision. And we see that. And I love that, that Josh takes time and, and puts into this, this young group here because they're the next wave that's coming up. And I heard, I've heard in, in the business world for a long time that uh, the, um, the best managers are the ones who uh, build up the people under them. The best leaders are the ones who build up the people under them to take their place, to take over their job, to work themselves out of a job basically, to train themselves out of a job. And the best leaders who do that, and I've, and, I've, and I've watched them in the business world, the ones who are so selfless, who, um, like our apostle, who doesn't seek their own, who doesn't try to, you know, make their own name, she could use, she could use all of us, use all of our talents and gifts and make herself great. Um, but she chooses to make us great in our position and in our calling. And uh, and so she gets promoted, and I've seen it. The youngest person I've ever seen get promoted as quickly as he did, um, did this when he didn't have any reason to. He was trying to climb the corporate ladder, and so most of those people get greedy and uh, self-centered and try to make everything be about themselves. And he, um, if I was in a, if we were in a meeting and anybody didn't give credit to a person under them, any of the managers, and I, I, he didn't give credit to a person under them for the work that was accomplished, he would step out in front of the whole meeting and call them out and say, now I know that John did this over here. John's only been here two months. Isn't that awesome? Everybody clap for John. He didn't have any reason to pull up the people under him, but because he did, he was rewarded. There's just a, a law that happens in that, that as we build up the ones who come after us, we receive promotion. Amen? Um, there is no, the young people are coming to take over, so let's all sit back and relax. When God releases us to dream dreams again, we're, we, we go into a scary territory. Our apostle is there right now, where God released her from day to day, running this church and sent her out into the nation. She's in Chattanooga right now. She sends her greetings. Um, 
He's coming home tomorrow. He's had a, a wonderful, wonderful conference. Um, she's had a wonderful time, and, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to hear all about it when she gets back. Um, so that promotion came. Now, there's a scary time there where I feel like I need to hold on to the things that I'm comfortable with. The things that were mine. But when I let them go, it allows the next to come up and have what God called them to do. Because, you know, I can't have what God called me to do if there's somebody standing in my spot that won't let it go that God called me to. I can't do that. And so you see there's this, there's this shift that's happening as, as not as anyone's being released but as people are, are, are kind of shifting and letting, letting others grow into their own places and callings, even if that means that was my thing that I did two months ago, and now somebody else, I have to let somebody else do it, and they don't do it the same way I did it. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't do it the same way our apostle does it. But I have the same vision that our apostle has. And the vision is something that's never going to leave Freedom Ministries. It's never because that's the thing that we protect here with our lives. What is the vision? That I experience God. I get a breakthrough. I have 100% victory 100% of the time in my own life. I get to the place where I can pray and get a breakthrough. And then when I have achieved victory, that I take what God has done in me, and I go and help somebody else get the same breakthrough. I do for somebody else what God has done for me. Amen? That is what we're passing on. It's not just presence, although it's wonderful. It's not just the glory, although it's wonderful. It's not just the breakthrough. That's not all. It's for a purpose. And when we lose sight of the purpose of what we're running after then it becomes very difficult to maintain the level that we're at. Because I begin to be like, well, why is it worth all this? Why is it worth the hours in prayer? Plenty of churches have church. they got a lot of people there, and their pastors don't pray. <laughs> well, plenty of, them, plenty of them do. Plenty of church members, they just, they... They have their little children's church, and they do their little skits, and they have their little things, and they don't labor in hours and hours in travail and prayer over it. Elder prays for hours over her uh, Freedom 2 class that she has on Thursday nights. Labors in prayer over it. Labors in prayer over the services, so there's a breakthrough here. And we can become weary when we miss the purpose that we're doing all of this for. The purpose is not just so that we can have a wonderful service and the glory comes in and that we all have a breakthrough, but it's so that when I have gotten a breakthrough, I can take that breakthrough to someone else who's struggling in the same things that I struggle with, who's in the same bondage that I was in, and I can set them free. I can show them the way to be set free. And... The wonder, the glorious thing about it is because I've already done the work, they don't have to maybe labor and struggle and fight tooth and nail for their life like I did because I can go and say, I've already gotten a breakthrough in this. Let me show you how to do it. Amen. 
And this assumes one thing, though, and that is that God has actually done something in me so that I can do it for somebody else. And if we can't put, because testimony's coming up next Sunday, so I'm going to say this today. We can all get right before then. If we can't put our finger on one significant thing that God has changed in my life, changed me from who I was into who I am now, moved me from fear into boldness, moved me from bondage into victory, moved me from sin into salvation, Move me from all I cared about was myself into I'll pray and help you get a breakthrough because I care about you. Move me from one place to another. But And all we really have to say is, man, this is, the glory was here. Ooh, I felt God. It was wonderful. That's, that's the be all and end all. I, I question our relationship with God. I love it. I love all the stuff we do. I love I love the presence of God. I love it. Maybe more than y'all. I love it. More than some of you anyway. I love it. I love getting at these altars. I love the worship. I love the feelings. I love falling out. Um, but if I don't if I can put my finger on something that has changed in my life as a result of the experiences with God, then I don't have a relationship. I just have experiences. And as I was praying over this, I, I saw something ugly, and I'm just going to say it. We like religion. And I think my generation, who has hated religion so much likes it more than anybody. I think my generation has hated religion to the point that we became religious. We were judged religion. And we know Matthew chapter 7. We'll read it. Judge not that you be not judged. For with whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged. If I judge religion, I am judged religious. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if I hate religion so much that I've judged it and I'm mad about it, nothing in me ever wants to have anything to do with organized religion. I don't want nothing to do with that. I want anything that looks religious, sounds religious, feels religious, puts me in a box, put a rule on me. You come around and talk about drinking and they'll say, oh, that's the law. Don't put no law on me. Only God can judge me. We judged religious people. And in doing so, became religious. It may look and sound different than the religious people we judged, but it's the same thing because if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then all I have is religion. If I can only point to great experiences, but not a changed life, I don't have the life of Jesus living on the inside of me that gives me a relationship with Him that changes me and wrecks my whole world until I become someone different. I don't have that. 
I have experiences. I have feel good. Which isn't any different than the generation before us who had religion and who did it so that we would feel less guilty. It's just a feeling. It's just an experience. It's just a, something we're going after emotionally so that I can check the box and I can move on and I can live my life the way I want to live my life. We judged our parents a lot of times for the religion that they came out of in this ministry. We watched them. You know, it was ugly. Let's just be honest. We, we was ugly when we were coming out of our stuff. And so we judge our parents who came and got out of their stuff, out of their junk, out of their mess, out of religion, out of hatefulness. We judge the church. I'll just be real. I'm just being real today. We judge the church. Many of us judge the church for what it took. For our loved ones, our parents, our family, to the what they endured to get to where they are in God. The what they endured with the difficulty of dying to self and fighting religion in their own life. And so when I judge, my parents were religious and they got really, really ugly when they tried to get out of religion. And so I hate religion. I judge. We know, Matthew 7, verse 1, if I judge. I get judged with the same judgment. One of the foundational teachings of Freedom Ministries. We'll take it all the way back to the beginning. Bitter root judgments. If I judge, I get judged the same way. That's the reason why people grow up in an abusive home and they say, I'll never be an abusive parent. And then the first time, and then their, their kids are screaming. They're screaming bloody murder. They can't get them to calm down. And the first thing, the emotion that rises up in them is rage. Shut up! We judge our parents for being drug addicts. I'll never touch a drug. And one of two things happen. You become one too because that's what you judge or you become an addict to something else. But you're not, you don't live in freedom when you live under judgment. And we make these judgments all throughout our life. Not without even realizing it's happening until I find myself in a situation where the same things keeps happening to me over and over and over again. And I don't really understand. Why do I live under this? Why can't I break free from alcohol? I said, my dad's an alcoholic. I'm never going to touch alcohol. I had a friend whose father was a rapist, went to jail for it, convicted sex offender. He said, I will never be my father. I took him the tape, actually, of Bitterroot Judgment. He said, I don't believe anything that you're saying. I don't believe anything that's on this tape. I will never be my father because I hate him. After he lost his family, his job, and everything else, he called me up. He said, you were right. I judged him. I judged him, and it took control of my life. So we find ourselves when we've made this particular judgment against religion feeling religious. I hate it. 
but I have no passion. I have no relationship. I do all the motions. I do all the things. I get the emotions. I get the feel good. And I go home and it's dead and it's empty because it's not real because I judge religion. And if we grew up in this ministry and made the judgment that the church takes too much out of me, takes too much from people, because here's the truth to every children, young adults who watch people grow up in this ministry, no one has ever given up time, life, finances, and this ministry that, that didn't do it because they loved God and they were pursuing. They were pursuing something. We got tired, frustrated, mad along the way sometimes and probably didn't handle it all right, but we were pursuing going after, running after with everything in me. Something. And so when we make a judgment, the church takes too much, then what do I do? I, I hold back because I'm afraid that some, the church is going to take too much. I hold back. I rise up in a position of leadership. And I don't take, I don't take ownership of the position of leadership. Does that make sense? Let's say I'm a worship leader and I just, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't take it. I'm just timid in it. I wait on somebody to tell me what to do. I wait on, I wait to be told, you know, if I say, well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be responsible for always changing the light bulb. But I'm scared to change the light bulbs. I hold back from changing the light bulbs until somebody tells me, yes, I actually do need you to change the light bulb. You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? I hold, I hold back because I have a judgment in me against be, it being taken too much out of me. And so what do, I, what do I end up doing is I end up taking from other people in that. Because somebody's going to change the light bulb. And we'll get somebody else to change the light bulb. Probably somebody who's already done five other things that day. There is an anointing for every person to feel a position and a purpose at Freedom Ministries that is in line with both your purpose for your life and God's purpose for this church in this area. But if I don't rise up and take it, then I don't have it. A lot of times it's because we judge religion and the cost of being unreligious. Because we weren't going to be religious here. I remember Pastor Pinson standing up here and screaming, You're not going to make me religious! At all of us as we sat out there sitting on the pews and staring at her and waiting on her to perform for us. Because that's what religion does. And she'd say, You're not going to make me religious! And she'd get up and she'd get us with her until we had broken that religion down. There's a cost of being unreligious. Anybody can go to church and be religious. But if you actually want God to move, then that takes time in prayer. It takes laying on our faces. Not just me, corporately. Laying on our faces in prayer and seeking after God continually before His throne so that I know Him and I know His voice and I know how He moves and I, and I see where His Spirit wants to go in a service and we can get up and obey Him because we hear Him, because we know Him, because I spent time with Him.
So we hate religion, but we don't want to do what it takes to be unreligious. Can I get an amen? Okay. Said all that to get there, to that point. The judgment that we judge was measured back to us. And so we make excuses. This is my favorite one that I hear uh, more lately than ever. I don't know. I just don't fit anywhere. Don't fit. Many times, not all the time, many times, I say I don't fit because I see what I'm called to do. And I don't want to rise up and take it. Because I'm timid, I'm afraid, I think it'll cost too much. Takes too much. I don't want to do that. Nobody has just called me up and said, Asia, thou shalt lead a prayer army. And here is step one through ten of how to do that. Exactly. Nobody said that and makes a way and tells me exactly what to do. And, and so... I don't rise up and take ownership. I sit and I wait, and then I say, well, I don't really fit anywhere. I don't really have a position. I don't really have a thing. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. But what did God birth in you? Did God say, you're a teacher? Rhonda's a teacher. Rhonda comes up to me all the time talking about, and we're, we're going to find a place for Rhonda to teach. Because Rhonda has teaching in her. She says, I, could, I really want to teach on marriage. I said, Rhonda, I'm going to find a way for you to teach on marriage. Because she knows what she wants. She knows what God birthed in her. And she says, I'm, so I'm going to take it. Nobody else is doing it for me. I'm going to take it. So it's a lie when we say, I don't fit in. I don't know what to do. I want to step on somebody else's toes. Those are all lies. The truth is, it's just not that important. We've been praying and, and talking about passion, passionate pursuit of God all, all morning since prayer this morning. If I'm passionate about something, like that woman in the Song of Solomon, I don't lay on the bed and wait on it to come to me. That's where she was. She was laying on the bed. Solomon will show up eventually. And she could have just said, eh, I'll just watch Netflix. So Solomon shows up. I'm good. I'm good. Whatever. Eh, he'll show up eventually. Eh. As long as he shows up with a credit card. Thank you, Jesus. Come on in. Um... But she loved. He was the love of her life. She didn't sit on the bed and wait for him to come in there. She said, I love my groom. I love him. I'm going to go and I'm going to find him. Where do I have to search? Has anybody seen him? Has anybody seen the love of my life? Has anybody seen him? Have you seen him on the walls? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? I'll go up and down the street. She said, I'll roam every street in the city of Jerusalem if I have to until I find the love of my life, the one I'm passionate for, the lover of my soul. And when she found him, she said, oh, I found him. I found him. 
I'm never going to let you go. I'm never letting you go. I'm fastening myself to you. I'm never turning loose of the one that I adore. I'm never turning loose of you. I'm taking you home with me. When I am in love, y'all know Percy Sledge said it. When a man loves a woman. He said it. He can't keep his mind on nothing else. Can't keep his mind on nothing else. If she's bad, he don't see it. Mm -mm. She can do no wrong. When a man loves a woman, how much more if I really loved my God? I can't keep my mind on nothing else. I'd change the whole world just to have you. Oh, my God. Like the woman in the Song of Solomon, I'd get up and I'd roam the streets. I'd ask every stranger I came across, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? I haven't met with him today. I have to find my way into his presence because I don't even know who I am if I'm not connected with him. When I, when I love him, I seek him. And when I find him, I say, oh, God. Oh, God, I never want to leave you. I'm connecting myself with you. Oh. So we have to examine ourselves. If my love for God isn't great enough, to rise up past all these things. If he put in my heart, son, you're a prophet. Get up and begin to open your mouth and prophesy. My daughter, you're a prayer warrior. Make these people make room for you at this altar. You call a fast for the leadership. You call a fast over the city. Don't wait on somebody else to do it and show up for 30 minutes because that's how much free time you have. That's not how we love someone. When I, when me and Michelle were engaged, y'all, I don't stay up late. I, I believe in early to bed, early to rise. That's not, that's not who I am. I stayed up to 3 a.m. every morning. I would come home from lunch. I'd take a, a little bit of a longer lunch and work later in the evening. So I'd come home from lunch and take a nap so that I could stay up all night and talk to Michelle on the phone. I realized after an $1,100 phone bill that she wasn't on AT&T, and so I didn't have the free nights and weekends. It's back, you know, it's back before you have free all the time. We have free nights and weekends, and I said, oh my God. It's worth every penny, though. Worth every penny for the hours and hours I spent talking with her because I loved her. Amen. Worth it. And so if it's not worth it to me to press past fear when I feel in my spirit to do something, it's, it's not a fear problem. It's a love problem. If it's not worth it to me to be at the altar enough so that I can get up and minister where however God's put in my spirit to do it, wherever he told me, 
I want you to visit people. I want you to be on the street evangelizing. I want you to just call people who miss church. I want you to check on the elderly. I want you to cook for your pastors. I want you to um, to give. I want you to lead a prayer for leadership. I want you to lead a prayer for the city. Whatever he's put in me to do. Because if we all did what God put in us to do, we'd have no lack anywhere in the ministry. Because He's God provides for everything. But we don't. We wait. Well, Apostle will call a, a fast over the city one day if that's really God, and I don't have to really worry about that. But why would God tell Apostle when He told you? You see, we understand. Why would He tell someone else? Maybe eventually. When he got sick of waiting on us, he tells somebody else. But he told you. We just need revival. And I don't mean like revival. We need a revival in us of our relationship with God. I don't mean to go out and get people saved on the street revival. That is a byproduct of real revival. Real revival is in is inside of me where I get down on my face and I say, God, I'm not passionate about you. I don't love you like that. I don't. I seek my own. I love myself. I love my children. I love my husband. I love my wife more than I love you. I love them all. I love my job. I find a place for you in my life because it's important to me to be a Christian. I believe in you, but I don't love you like that. God, ignite love in me. Ignite passion in me. And that, that's where revival comes from until I am so passionate. It's the missing ingredient when we try to get free from sin. We can seek after holiness or we can seek after the one who makes us holy. We seek after holiness, we seek after being sin-free, we seek after a breakthrough over why I do all these things all the time, but, and that's all important, and it's a part of our deliverance. But if I don't see the purpose of why I want to be sin-free, I'm not going to stay sin-free. Because when I understand I'm passionate about God, I love Him, my heart yearns for Him, my flesh is telling me I want this so bad right now. I want it so bad. Oh, but but I love Jesus. I love him so much. If I do this, I, I don't, I'm not gonna feel connected with him anymore. I'm gonna have to go pray and repent. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt my relationship with him. I don't, I don't want to do that. It's not worth that. Is it worth me giving up this even for a day, even for a few minutes? It's not worth to give up that if I don't have this then whenever the temptation pulls on me and I say God I want it so bad I don't even know how to quit God make me not want this God make me not want this he doesn't make us not want it he makes us we, we can want something more but he doesn't make us not want it and I end up back in temptation and then I feel guilty until I feel I've wrecked my life bad enough that I come back and I get saved all over again and I repent and I try again. But when I see the one that I'm running after and I say, oh God, 
I have this wonderful relationship with you. I'm passionate about you. I love you. I don't like the woman, the Shulamite woman. She said, make my heart strong. I'm not going to have a feeble heart anymore so that I never let go of you, God. I'm going to be connected with you. I'm fastening myself to you. I'm never letting go. And if I choose this, I'm choosing it over you. And that means I'm not connected with you right now. I'm connected with that right now. And that's not worth it. Doesn't mean I don't want it. Because we live in flesh. And flesh wants all kind of things. All kind of times. I just want something more. When I, um, I was, years and years ago, I was working with someone in an office. And there's just a couple of us in the office. We both all made about the same amount of money, which wasn't very much. And, um, we took trips to Disney World about once a year because I love Disney World. I love it. And um, and my kids love it. And I love to take my kids there. I don't really care if they want to go to a different park. Every year they're like, can we go to Universal? No. Is Mickey Mouse there? Then no. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care who's there. So... And she said to me, she said, I don't have any kids. And at the time I had two, maybe three, can't remember. No, just two. And, uh, and she said, and you've got kids, and you take these expensive trips. I don't see how I could ever go to Disney World. I don't see how I could ever afford it. And I said, oh, well, you know, I, I started to blow it off and say, well, you know, God blesses me, which, which is true. Um, and I said, but, well, what do you spend your money on? And she said, well, we just make it. And I said, but don't y'all like hunt and fish and do all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, how much money do you spend on that every year? Oh, probably eight or $10,000 at least. I was like, well, there's, there's a trip to Disney World. That's more than a trip to Disney World. That's where your money goes. It's more important to me to do this than it is to have a four-wheeler and ride through the woods and shoot animals. That's more important. I don't judge it. I love fish. I love to eat other people's fish that they caught, but I'm not going to buy a boat because there's more important things to me than getting out in the boat and sitting there all day so I can have fish. Catfish is almost as good. I'd rather have white perch, crappie, whatever we call it around here. And, um, but I'll take catfish. It's not worth it for me to get on a boat and buy all that mess. Spend my money on other things. So it's a matter of what's important to me. If God is important, then my life shifts around it because I love Him. And the things, they fall in line behind it. And if He's not important to me, then I slot Him in with everything else in life. How do we get to the place? How do we get to that passionate place? You know, there's a difference in discipline and law. The discipline of reading this every day will produce passion in your life. It may not sound like it. It may not make any sense. But I'm telling you that if you can't read the Song of Solomon and be passionate about Jesus... 
then you have a, you need to get saved. If you can't read the Psalms and worship start coming up out of your heart, then I don't know. I don't know. We just get saved. That's what we do. We get saved and then something is in us to come out of our heart. If I read the word, it will grow passion inside of me. A relationship with God makes me hungry for the word. If I don't want the word, then I, have, I need to get my relationship right with God. If I, when I was, when me and Michelle were engaged, if she had wrote me a letter, I would have devoured it. And God wrote us a letter. He wrote us so much that we'll never run out of revelations to get out of his word in our lifetime. Relationship will always drive you to the word. And the word as you devour it, it compels a deeper relationship. So we don't put law on us because we all hate law. You know, we hate religion. We've covered that. But we discipline ourselves. 1 Corinthians 9.20, Paul says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Why? Why did he discipline himself? Because some days I don't feel like reading the Bible. I feel like watching a superhero movie on Netflix and eating some ice cream. That's what I feel like doing. I feel like laying in bed a little while longer. I feel like spending my time on myself to make myself try to feel better. But if I discipline myself, I ignore what my flesh is telling me it wants, and I discipline myself, and I say, no, I'm going to seek God. If he doesn't even speak to me, I'm going to read this word so that it gets in my spirit, and it makes my spirit come alive a little bit more. And when my spirit comes alive a little bit more, I'm going to be happy that I read the Word. And when I'm happy that I read the Word, I want some more of it. And the more of it I read, the more I learn about God, the more I feel connected to God, and the greater the relationship I have. The more I read, the more I know His voice when He speaks to me. Because law, we don't get into a law with it. We discipline ourselves. Law leads to sin. Discipline leads to righteousness. Paul disciplined himself so that he would be righteous and be sin free. He didn't put law on himself. Romans 7, 5 says, When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Where did sinful passions come from? Law. It's okay to not like religion. We just can't judge. Sin, sinful passions came from the law. 
They were at work in my members, and they bore fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve the newness of life of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So even there, he's saying, I am die to my flesh through discipline. Y'all hate to hear the word discipline, I know, but we're going to say it again a few more times. I die to my flesh through discipline, and then I'm dead to self, and I'm made alive in him. So when I make the decision, God, I just want to lay in this bed a little while longer. I can, I can skip prayer. I can skip reading the Bible today. I've, I got 20 more minutes before I have to get up, and I can still make it to work. And we don't live under the law, so I'm not saying that's never a good idea. But I am saying that we have to be careful. Because if I do it one time, it's real easy to do it the next day because it felt so good yesterday. I want to do it again today. The heart of David is really what we're talking about. It's, and that was he pursued God. He messed up so much along the way, but he pursued him. He never quit running, searching, going as deep as he could after God. He sought after all the days of his life. He sought after his first love. And if the seeking that gets me up, that compels me, it's not there, then I'm not, I don't really love him. I don't really have a passion for him. But how do I get it? I get my relationship right and I get in the word and the word will build a passion for the things of God in me. I'm going to read one more scripture. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have had patience. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I believe this speaks to, it speaks to all of us, but it speaks to my generation maybe more than others. Because one thing about them, they did the work of the ministry. They did work. They did the things. They even did it when there was no passion in them for it. They just did it. Hey, I show up. I keep the nursery because that's what I do. Regardless of how they felt, they didn't give up. But they had lost their passion and their love for God. And that's so important to God. We see God's heart in this is that he doesn't want holy. He doesn't just want a holy people. 
He doesn't just want to send free people. He doesn't just want a people who call themselves Christian and do the right things and have churches. He wants people who have a relationship with Him. So much so that He would have rather this church compromise with the Nicolaitans who, who taught that you could um, have no morals and still be a Christian. Compromise with the amount of work and ministry that they did. He wouldn't care if they loved him. He said, you've left your first love. If you don't, you can do all of this, but, if, but because you've left your love for me, if you don't repent and return to do the first works, the first works that you did that were born out of love and passion because those were the only works that I cared about, if you don't return and do them, then I'm going to take the lamp out of your lampstand. I'm going to remove the flame. I'm going to remove my spirit from you. God is being pretty plain here in that he doesn't share his preeminence with anyone. And then he gave us a promise. If you overcome, and each church got a different promise from God if you overcome. This one was, if you overcome, I'm going to give to eat of you from the tree of life. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What's the greatest breakthrough that a, per, uh, that a people who have lost their passion but still do the work of God want? Life. Because that's death. That's death. Some of us have been trying, trying at church, trying at our call, trying at our things, but with no passion in us, we have died to it. We still do it. We still show up. We still come. But we've died to the passion that's in there. Some of us, have we have tried to get right and be holy and, and be sin-free and serve God and be good Christians without the love and passion that compels us, that makes us choose God over sin. And we get frustrated because I can't stop myself from wanting this sin so bad that I, I can't be holy. But the holiness, that's all secondary. I either love Him and I pursue Him with everything in me or I don't and I can't keep myself. The pull of sin is too strong. Let's all stand. Some of us, we need to get our relationship right with God and make up our minds. The chapter after that in, in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite woman says, I've made up my mind that I'm going to be his bride. Nothing is going to stop me. I've made up my mind. Nothing will stop me. And if she loved him so much that she was seeking him out in the streets in the middle of the night, nothing would stop her. It wouldn't have mattered if Solomon even wanted to still marry her at that point. There was nothing that was going to stop that woman from getting what she was going after. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. 
For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossit.com.